Our scripture is Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own tongue. Hold on, I scrolled too fast. <laughs> Their own, in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show words wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, 
and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself has said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Good morning, church. As you guys are taking your seats, if you haven't already, let me invite you to take out your Bible and open to the passage our friend Sarah just read, Acts chapter 2. Last week, we looked at, as we celebrated the beginning of a new year, the beginning of a new study through the book of Acts. And we saw how we're going to be looking at the acts of Jesus and the Spirit in the early church. And as we come out of December and the Advent season, the time every year where we remember the birth of Jesus Christ, we come into a story today in Acts where it's about the birth of the church. Jesus told his disciples, as recorded in Matthew 28, he tells them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of of the age. So the disciples weren't supposed to take this message <laughs> about Jesus and say, okay, let's, let's keep it in our homes. Let's just keep this to ourselves and guard it as this protected treasure. He says, no, go and multiply. Go share this message with all the nations. Go make disciples of all nations. Proclaim the good news. So this, is, this is what happens throughout Acts. The gospel is proclaimed and disciples are made. That's where we get the word evangelism from, this Greek word, euangelion. means good news. Evangelizo is like good newsing. It's like preaching good news. That's what evangelism means. And, and as people respond to the gospel message being proclaimed in repentance and faith, they become disciples. This is what Luke records in Acts 14. It says, when they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So disciples are people that have responded to the gospel in faith. So it's not like there's Christians and then there's a certain group of Christians that are real Christians and we call those guys disciples. No, no, no. Christians are disciples and disciples are Christians and disciples and Christians are made as the gospel proclaimed and they respond in faith. And the church was to go and make disciples of all nations and as a sign of their change of heart, their change of mind, their receiving of Jesus, they were to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as a symbolic act of forgiveness of sins and being washed in Jesus and being baptized in his death and being raised to walk in new life. 
And they're not only told to evangelize, but to teach them to observe. So you can say that the callings that the church has been given is sharing the good news and teaching people to observe, like proclamation and formation. Well, that's what we're, we're doing. That's what we're called to do it, to help each other become more like Jesus. Amen? Helping each other obey, follow all that Jesus had commanded us. So this is the, we have the responsibility to help one another in the spiritual information, the process of becoming more like Jesus. That's why the New Testament gives all kinds of words in these one another's that we're supposed to do in church life. Encourage one another, bear with one another, pray with one another, counsel, teach one another, be an example to one another. One of the things I'd love to see in our church this next year is everyone in the church has someone that they're meeting with in a Bible study or in a community group or in a one-on-one setting that they are meeting to get regularly for encouragement. And we're helping each other grow spiritually, like spiritual formation. We want to be about this, helping each other obey all that Jesus has commanded. In our passage this morning, we're going to see gospel proclamation and the beginning of the church, 3,000 added in one day. And the, the apostles are, themselves are actually obeying what Jesus commanded. They're proclaiming the gospel to all, all nations. We're looking at our history as a Christian church. And it happened 2,000 years ago, and even though it, it's, it's you know, first century and we're 2023 20, now, we have been invited into this story to continue in this mission of God. We have, the, the baton has been passed to us as the church to be about proclamation and formation. That's our hope and aim. Amen? Some of my favorite memories from my childhood outside of playing sports and playing with my friend Alec were playing pretend and acting out stories that we, that we watched. And whether it was using traffic signal flashlights and turning off all the lights in the upstairs and being Jedi, we had these flashlights that we pretend that were... It was before... I mean, maybe it was not before, but... We just used flashlights. We didn't have the cool ones that my kids have now where you can, it, it kind of telescopes out and you can turn it on and it even makes noise. We had to make those noises ourselves, right? <laughs> or whether it was I, was, I was pretending to be uh, Legolas or Aragorn, my dad made this cool like replica wooden sword that he routed and cut. I was pretending to be Aragorn and, and I was in my backyard just slaying orcs, just destroying them. I could, play, I could play outside in a world of fantasy for hours. But as you get older from a kid, you don't necessarily interact with story the same way. There's some adults that do that, but culturally it's not as, it's not as like viewed upon as something that's okay, right? right the popular TV drama out there right now is a, a show called Yellowstone. And it's not as appropriate for adults to wear the cowboy hats and put on the boots and pretend to ride horses and pretend like you had this large ranch in Montana and go outside in your backyard and play this for hours. Like, I, don't, I don't know many friends that do that. I, I don't have friends who go to a Seahawk game or a Mariner game or a Sounders game and then pretend for hours when they come home to be a Seahawk. It's like, that's kind of lost on us. I don't, I don't know if we just kind of lose what it means to be fun or we just care too much. No, the innocence has been lost. I don't know. But as we read Acts, we get to do something better than like what we did as a kid and what we can do now as an adult. We don't simply read the story like as we did as a kid and then pretend. Like, oh, 
You know, if only I was, you know, Luke Skywalker. Or I'd create my own story of how I was even a better Jedi than Luke Skywalker. I was coming up and I was continuing. I would like rewrite a story in my mind as I was pretending this. Anyone else with me? Remember, remember what it was like being a kid? <laughs> but it's not as though as adults, we simply like view a drama like Yellowstone or Downtown Abbey or House or whatever you're into, Friday Night Lights, Band of Brothers, some of the big ones out there, right? Harry Potter, Hunger Games. And then say, like, wow, that was a nice story. And then we kind of move on with our life. We don't continue in that story. We don't pretend that that was real. We don't make up you know, our own fantasy world based on that. We just move on from our life. Acts presents something that's different than what we did as an adult and what we did as a kid. And that is we can actually participate in the story. It's true, and we're invited in. And that's, that, as we're studying through Acts, I want to continually invite you into this story. The same Jesus and Spirit that filled and indwelled and did these works in Acts is in us today. We are indwelled by the Spirit. We can be led and guided by the Spirit. And Acts and the rest of the Bible is a true story, a true study that if you study and you apply, will change your life. It'll change the life of your family. It'll change what you spend your money on. It'll change what you think about. It'll change the, the purpose or the aim of your life. It'll change who your friends are and why your friends are with them. Thanks, Chris. So our story today is Acts 2, verses 1 through 41. And I've divided the story into three kind of main headings. The event, the explanation, and the exhortation. All right, the event the explanation, the exhortation. There's the event, the event that happens on Pentecost. And this event causes people to ask the question, what does this mean? What's happening? And Peter, one of the apostles, kind of the leader, the spokesman of the apostles, gets up and he gives the explanation. This is what this means. You're seeing this, you're hearing it. <laughs> you got questions. Aren't these guys Galileans? What is happening? Peter says, let me tell you what's happening. And then he gives an exhortation. So Event, explanation, exhortation. Let's look at the event. Acts 2, 1 through 13. It's the day of Pentecost. Pentecost literally means 50th day. Penti, 50. And it was, it's 50 days after the Sabbath of the Passover week. So it's the, called the, the Feast of the Pentecost. It was also called the Feast of Weeks. It was celebrated on the first day of the week, so that would have been Sunday. Uh, it's also called, in the book of Exodus, the Feast of the Harvest, and in Numbers, it's called the Day of First Fruits. It was one of the big three festivals that were celebrated in the life of the Jewish people. They had the Passover, they had the Festival of Weeks, and they had the Feast of Booths. Booths. And I struggle to say that. It's Booths? Yeah. Yes, not Booths. Booths. Either one. Okay. Thank you. And Pe Pentecost, or the Festival of Weeks, was about bringing the first fruit from the crop to God as a way of giving thanks to him, but also as a prayer of, please continue to provide for us. It was a prayer of thanksgiving for God's provision, but also a hope for a full harvest. Jim Hamilton says it like this in his commentary. The underlying idea and the symbolism of Pentecost was that if God was able to redeem his people from Egypt, then he would be able to provide for their lives too, just as he promised. Right, so 50 days after the Passover, people celebrated being freed and redeemed from Egypt. They'd celebrate this festival of weeks, and that is, if God can redeem us from slavery, he can provide for us, and we're going to bring our first fruits 
to him. Isn't that significant that that is the day the Holy Spirit's poured out? Pentecost. First day, Sunday, first day of the week, Jesus rose on the first day of the week, Sunday. This Pentecost happens on the first day of the week. That's why the Christian church kind of moved as followers of Jesus and Jews became Christians. They were like, we're going to celebrate on the first day, not the Sabbath. The sign of the resurrection of Jesus and the new age of the Spirit. And when Pentecost arrived, they said they were all together in one place. This most likely includes the 120 people that were with and are mentioned in Acts 115. They're assembled together in the upper room. In verse 2, Luke tells us, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. What did it sound like? Like a rushing wind. And it filled the entire house and divided tongues as a fire. So were these tongues literal fire? It was as of. Like, there's not, there's not quite a way to describe what, did, what was the sound and what were they seeing, but it was as of wind or like rushing wind and it was as of fire and it rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or you could say other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And these two things, wind and fire, symbolize and represent the presence of God. Fire was representative of God's cleansing and refining power, right? God spoke to Moses out of the fire of the burning bush. The, the fire kind of represents the purity of the Lord. The Lord led his people in the wilderness with a pillar of fire. Tongues as a fire appeared to them. This talks about the, the fact that this signifies the presence of God. Something unique is happening here in this moment. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in other languages. And it could have been that this house, this upper room, was, was close to the temple grounds and they kind of just migrated over into the temple because we're told 3,000 people were added to the church. They heard this sermon and, and responded. There might have been, you know, the, really only the temple was a place that could accommodate such a large crowd like this. So they might have gone to the temple and it says there are Jews dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men, and from every nation under heaven. These could have been pilgrims that were coming in for the festival. Or it could have been, it was apparently common as I was studying the history and some of the socio-demographic of the time that, that many Jews, when they were living in the, the, as they were dispersed, they would come back and spend kind of their final years in Jerusalem. They'd, they'd come home and, and they live in Jerusalem. And the, the point is that there's Jews from every nation right, who had grown up in different places and have different languages. And they all come together because they're hearing them speak in their own language. And they say, aren't these Galileans? The mother language of Galilee would be Aramaic and maybe some knew Hebrew or, or understood Greek, but they're understanding this in their language that they grew up in. How is it that we hear, verse 8, each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Egypt, Cyrene, Rome, both Jews and proselytes, which are Gentiles who converted to Judaism. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They're all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What is going on? Others are kind of skeptical. There's always a couple in a group, right? Oh, those guys are just filled with new wine. They're drunk, which doesn't really make sense to me how they're speaking other languages. I've, I've never seen a drunk person do this. <laughs> but here's the event. Jesus promised to send the Spirit. 
And the Spirit comes, and the disciples are filled with the Spirit, and they begin to speak in different languages, other tongues, so that all the nations that are gathered there can understand. And they're amazed. And they're asking, what does this mean? And Peter says, I'll, I'll tell you what it means. And he gets up and he starts preaching. He gives a sermon. Here's the explanation. He says, these guys aren't drunk. It's the third hour of the day. So in that time, they, they started their hours based on sunrise. So the third hour would have been like 9 o'clock in the morning. Sunrise was at 6 a.m. It would have been like 9 o'clock. These guys aren't drunk at 9 a.m. On the day of festival, Jews would often fast until the fourth or fifth hour of the day. This makes drunkenness very unlikely. You're saying, no, 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 this is, this is not happening. They're not drunk. This is fulfillment of a promise. Through the prophet, 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 <laughs> prophet Joel. Here we go. He says in verse 17, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and on signs below and blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. I love verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter's saying this event is the fulfillment or partial fulfillment in the great and coming day of the Lord of what Joel promised. This filling of the spirit is fulfillment. And then he starts appealing to the men who were there. He says, men of Israel, hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, goodness, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did in your midst as you yourselves know. Peter's appealing to what they know, their mind. He's telling them the truth that they can't deny. It's like, you guys know this. You saw Jesus. You saw the mighty works that he did. God attested to him through these works. You know this. He's reasoning with them. It says, this Jesus, verse 23, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it's not possible to him to be held by it. Then he's going to quote another fulfillment from David, Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand that I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my Flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Then he says, in fulfillment of this, brothers, Psalm 16, you know this. I say to you with confidence about the patriarch that he both died and was buried. In other words, David is talking about someone here in this Psalm that's not himself, right? He died. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God swore with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses. We, we the 11, and, and the 120 that were gathered, were filled with the Spirit, we're witnesses of this. We saw Jesus, his miracles. We saw his death. We saw him rise up from the dead. We've seen this. Like we can't deny this. And this is happening. And this is, it's like, it's all coming together for Peter, right? And he's trying to tell the, the Jews, this is who Jesus is. Brothers, therefore being exalted at the right hand of God 
And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. You're saying the reason that you guys are seeing this tongues, this filling of the Spirit, is because this is a sign that Jesus is exalted at the Father's right hand and he himself is pouring out his Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This is what you're seeing and hearing. He returns back to showing the contrast of Jesus and David and the fulfillment of what King David wrote about Jesus. It says, For David did not ascend up into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord. Now, in your Bibles, I think it's a little more clear. For some reason, in the, in the text here, it, both of the Lords are, look the same, like capital L, lowercase O-R-D. In, but in the text, it's, it's L, all caps, L-O-R-D, and then capital L, little case, undercase, lowercase. Lower Thank you, Pam. Lowercase, L-O-R-D. And, and what David is saying here is, he's, he's, in other words, he's saying, Yahweh, the, the covenant name of God, Yahweh said to my Adonai, my Lord. My, Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Jesus, Jesus used this too to kind of baffle the Pharisees. They, they, they didn't understand what this, what this meant. He's, he's t- telling them from Psalm 110, verse one, he's saying, who is David speaking about when he said, my God said to my Lord, who's the Lord of the king? Who's above him? What, who is David speaking about if he's talking about God and Lord? Peter said, well, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus makes sense of this psalm. He says, let all Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord, Adonai, and Messiah, Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Peter is really wanting his brothers to get this. He's not coming out, guns blaring, and saying, you idiots, how did you not get this? You bunch of fools, you're all wrong. And let me tell you, and if you ever try to start an argument like that, it doesn't usually go very well. Let me tell you, you dummy. All of a sudden on the defense, right? No, he's trying to reason with them. Like, think about this, guys. He peels through the mind, he calls them to reason with him. Based on the evidence, he's asking them to change their mind based on the truth. So the Christian faith is one that's based on empirical, historical evidence. The Christian faith is not about, well, you've got to kind of work your way around. It doesn't go around the mind. <laughs> it appeals to it. It's not some kind of spirituality. It's like, I, it just makes me feel really good. Something, you know, I, I can't really put my finger to it, but I just know there's something out there that I believe in, and it's good. That's not Christianity. The gospel appeals to your mind. The claims of Christianity don't seek to go around your mind. They say this truth happened and you have to deal with it. Tim Keller says it like this. Christianity does not declare there's something consenting adults can do in the privacy of their own lives that brings them peace and comfort. No. Christianity declares God has done something in history. He has broken in. Certain historical events have happened and how you respond to them will be the basis on which you rise or fall. Peter doesn't say, guys, here's a nice message for you, to make, for you today that'll make you happy. He doesn't say, here's a good motivational talk that'll appear to the emotional needs that you are have that might be lacking. Saying, this is the truth, brothers, reason with me. Think about this. Know for certain that this Jesus is both Lord and Christ. In verse 37, when the brothers heard this, they were cut 
to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So we have the, the event, what happened, Pentecost, spirit poured out, so guys are speaking different languages. Peter's get up and he says the, the explanation from Joel and from Psalm 16 and from Psalm 110. He's saying, this is a sign of Jesus and you need to believe in this Jesus and this is who this Jesus is. He's Lord and Messiah. And now he gives the exhortation. Look what Peter says. He doesn't say, all right, go to your prayer closet, pray for a really long time and this might happen to you. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you'll know for certain. It says in verse 38, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is good news. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? By faith. We believe. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That includes us. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. There were many other words. He continued to bear witness to them and he says, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were added 3,000 souls that day. Repent in a literal sense means to change your mind. Have a change of mind. It, Peter is telling the people to change their mind about how they thought about Jesus, who he was, and to align that thought with the truth. That's what repent means. Repentance is about abandoning a former mindset, a way of thinking, a way of living, and receiving new thinking, lifestyle, pattern, dispositions, desires, goals, and repentance is demonstrated in baptism. Says, repent and be baptized. Later in Acts, there's a story of Philip being led to share the gospel with this Ethiopian eunuch, and he receives the, the teaching, and he explains, Philip explains to him, Isaiah, and they're going by some water, and the eunuch says, hey, there's some water. What prevents me from getting baptized? And he's baptized right there. Peter in his sermon is not saying baptism is some sort of magical rite you have to do to be saved. There's not something magically powerful about water that all of a sudden cleanses you. So we're saved by grace through faith, but water baptism is, a, is an outward expression of what has happened inside, yeah. inwardly. Jesus commanded the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Peter seems to be saying in the name of Jesus here is kind of a shorthand for that Trinitarian formula. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. This is why in our church, when someone puts their faith in Jesus, we go to a lake, we fill up a feeding trough, we go to Carrie's hot tub, which is probably the most comfortable one, <laughs> and we dunk them in, in the water, and we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we, we're celebrating the fact that they are, they've been buried with Christ in baptism, and they've been raised to walk a new life. Because all those who receive Jesus receive the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, come to dwell with an individual. And this exhortation is for us, my friends, to repent and be baptized, to receive forgiveness of sins, and the Holy Spirit to believe, to become convinced that this is the truth, and this truth changes everything. It changes the way I live. It changes my desires and goals. It changes what I spend my time and my money on. It changes my dreams and my, my life, my habits. Jesus was a man attested by miracles with mighty works and signs and wonders. He was put to death according to the plan and foreknowledge of God. He was raised to life. He was exalted to the Father's right hand where 
at the right hand as exalted Lord. He pours out the Spirit on those that he wills. He gives forgiveness and the Spirit to all who repent and believe, and he adds them to his community called the church. So how do you receive Jesus? How do you repent? You change your mind. You trust in him. You set him as your Lord and your Savior. His word, not your thoughts, become the authority of your life. His people become your new community. His spirit becomes your new power. It's not by works, it's by faith. It's a change of trust. And this is how Christianity is fundamentally different than every other major world religion. Peter does not say, try really hard, do these certain rites and acts, and then maybe God will be pleased enough with you to send the Holy Spirit into your life. He says, repent, trust, and receive. That's good news. Consider Buddhism. Buddhism could be summarized in, in what's called the Four Noble Truths, which in many ways I might kind of agree with, except the last one. <clears throat> First, you guys know the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism? First, all of life is suffering. You could say, amen, yeah. <clears throat> Two, the cause of suffering is selfish desire. That sounds pretty insightful, actually. Three, the cure for suffering is overcoming selfish desire. Yeah, I can see that. But get this, fourth, the only way to accomplish overcoming selfish desire is to follow the Eightfold Path. And right there you go, well, I can't do that. Because the Eightfold Path is right views, right intent, right speech, right conduct, right occupation or livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, right meditative awareness. What is the emphasis on all of those things? You. Works. Peter doesn't say, save yourself from this crooked generation. Make sure you pray the right way. Make sure you have the right views of God. Make sure you conduct yourself the right way. Make sure you have the right speech, right effort, right concentration. No, no, no. He says, repent and be baptized. Put your faith in Jesus. We are unable to save ourselves from this crooked generation. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we turn to him and depend on him. We believe and trust. We can have good conversation with Buddhists, but ultimately we do not have the power in ourselves to change our selfish desires. I've tried it. <laughs> wow, it's hard. I, just, I, just, I only get more selfish as I focus on my selfishness. You guys with me? Has this ever happened to you? you you're conf confronted about a sin that you try really hard to overcome that sin, and it's like, if I just beat myself up enough, then I'll stop doing it. It doesn't work. It leads to pride and to despair. And when you become a Christian, you come under a new power, Amen. the Holy Spirit. You've been cut to the heart, you respond in faith, and you've You've recognized, I need outside help to change this heart of mine. I need God to do renovation from within. And what do you do when you receive the Spirit? You get forgiveness. The loving Father accepts you. You've been reconciled to him. You get new community. 3,000 souls were added. Well, added to what? <laughs> the church. Christianity is not a lone wolf faith system. You can't even obey all of Jesus' commands by yourself. Does it say bear with yourself, forgive yourself, encourage yourself, pray for yourself, love yourself, be reconciled to yourself? Like the New Testament doesn't make sense. New power, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and says receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a great gift. Amen. Throughout the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is described as the one who transforms us into the image of God from one degree of glory to the next. The Spirit is one who helps us. He brings to remembrance all that Jesus has taught us. The Holy Spirit leads us. 
The Holy Spirit convicts us. He brings to mind the things in our life that need to change. The Spirit causes us to walk in the way of Jesus and obey his commandments. The Spirit guides us in the truth. The Spirit helps us pray even when we don't have the words to pray. So I'm not a very good prayer. It's okay. The Holy Spirit will intercede for you with groanings that you don't even understand. Oh, that's so awesome. Isn't that good? Spirit glorifies Jesus in our life. The Spirit helps us put to death the ways of our former self. By the Spirit, we kill remaining sin in our life. The Spirit bears fruit in our life. Fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Notice it doesn't say fruits. As if, yeah, I've got gentleness down, but I really need to work on joy. No, no, no. Fruit. Wow, that's so sweet. Well, that sounds kind of passive. Like, the Spirit's doing all this? We don't bear the fruit. (laughs) I don't bear the fruit. Maybe you do. I don't. The Spirit does. Well, are there things that we can do to cultivate more of the Spirit in our life? You're thinking, okay, the Spirit sounds awesome. I want more of the Spirit in my life. I like the one, one pastor worded it. The Spirit created the channel by which you were united to Christ. And the Spirit flows into you by virtue of your union with Christ through faith. It's like, you receive the Spirit how? By faith. How do you continue in the Spirit? By faith. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, you know, you guys were, you, you started by faith in the Spirit, and now you're going to try to be perfected by works of the flesh? No, no, you you start with faith, you continue in faith. This is how the Spirit leads us, in faith, in trust. We receive the Spirit by faith, we walk in the Spirit, we seek to be filled with the Spirit by faith. I I heard an illustration that goes something like this. One of the the fruit of the Spirit is patience. When you're walking by the Spirit, you're led by the Spirit, like when Daniel Englehart is led by the Spirit, he is patient. When I'm keeping in step with the Spirit, I'm patient. When you're in step with the Spirit, you're patient. What makes you impatient? Something comes in your life, it crosses my will. That wasn't supposed to happen. I did not plan that today. I get frustrated. People say something. I'm running behind. I'm going out. I'm stuck in traffic. There rises up frustration or anger or disappointment. This is a manifestation of impatience, right? Many of us probably happened this week. Maybe this morning. It's 9.50. Church starts at 10. Come on, let's go. What are you supposed to do right here? You're supposed to, to trust. You're supposed to believe. You're supposed to hear something with faith. And there are a lot of promises that relate to patience and faith. Whether it's anger, influence, Influence, indifference, envy, divisions, grumpiness. You can oftentimes boil these down to a self-sufficiency and a pride and a lack of faith. This call from Peter in the sermon this morning is a call to repent and believe in Jesus. And whether it's the first time you're hearing this message and you say, I need outside help and I want to turn from myself and trust in Jesus, this passage is an encouragement to you to come to Christ. Repent, be baptized, receive the forgiveness of your sins, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And if you've been a Christian for a long time, you don't get to sit back here and say, wow, that's a really good message for all those people that aren't Christians. But I guess I, uh, why did I even come here? Maybe to sing some songs. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie and I were joking this morning, and he goes, oh, what are you going to talk about today? Jesus? Jesus, 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 right? It's like, we heard the gospel. When are we going to move on from the gospel? Of course, he's joking. At least he fooled me if he wasn't. <laughs> Christians are continually called, right? Martin Luther, he said, all of life, all of the Christian life is repentance. To continually turn from yourself to receive Jesus, receive the Spirit, be led by him, walk by him. Seek to have the Spirit-filled scriptures shape and affect your life. Sheep seek to grow at all times, praying at all times in the Spirit, asking for the Spirit to guide you and lead you and help you. When the Spirit convicts you, when you're harsh, when you're impatient, when you're angry, when you're indifferent, when you lack joy, when you turn to something or someone as kind of functionally you're worshiping that instead of worshiping Jesus in that moment, do you confess? Addison, I was... I was impatient with you last night. I yelled at you. I'm sorry. I, you weren't doing what, you, what I wanted you to do in, in, in that moment. I thought, I don't want to help her. Harshness, right? Of course, logically, we don't think, we don't think like that because if we did, we wouldn't do it. I know how it'll really help someone change. I'll speak really harsh to them. I'll be a jerk to them. That'll help. That's not how the Christian faith works. God says it's, it's kindness, it's, Grace, it's kindness, leads us to repentance. Say, Father, forgive me. Addison, I'm, I'm sorry for snapping at you. I'm sorry for speaking to you harshly. The cool thing about Pentecost is that in, in Jewish tradition, this feast was associated with the giving of the law. Since this was, Israel reached Mount Sinai about two lunar months after crossing the Red Sea. So people would celebrate Pentecost. It's not only a time of celebrating the first harvest and asking God to continue to provide for them, but it became associated with the giving of the law. And it's as if Pentecost, the 50th day, isn't just about the first fruits, like what has just begun. It's about God giving to his redeemed people the way in which they are to live out his purposes in the Holy Spirit. The significance of the Spirit being poured out on Pentecost after the Passover is that just as the festival of weeks was about the first fruits of a greater harvest to come, the significance of the Spirit being poured out and 3,000 being added that day is that this is the first fruits of a greater harvest to come. And all those who have turned from themselves and turned to trust in Jesus, we are in that harvest, my friends. 2,000 years later, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God shows us in Acts 2 how the Lord provides for what he has promised and the church is equipped with the same message and the same spirit to accomplish what he has called us to do. And that is a message of hope that bolsters our faith and gives us confidence that he's not like, oh my gosh, the church in America is declining. What is happening? Jesus ascends to heaven and has come down again, not as Moses did on Mount Sinai, where he came back with a, a written law, like written on stone tablets, but Jesus came back in the form of his spirit, writing his law on our hearts. We have a new dynamic power and energy of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus served as this fulfillment of the Passover. 
He was the final Passover. He was the spotless lamb of God who was crucified so that if anyone would trust in him, as the Israelites trusted in, in the blood being put over their doorpost, the angel of death would pass over their houses. Anyone who's covered in the blood of Jesus, the death and judgment passes over us, that we are forgiven and redeemed and reconciled to God. And just as Jesus fulfilled uh, the Passover typology and fulfillment, this, this Pentecost, this celebration of the first fruits is fulfilled and is continually fulfilled in us as we go out and we share the good news of Jesus and we help other people follow him in the way we live, in our love, in the, the difference we show that Jesus makes in our life. Pentecost is also a foretaste of the coming kingdom, right? It's, the humanity came together and they were said, oh, let's make a great name for ourselves. Let's build up to the heavens. And God says, scatter you and I'm gonna confuse your languages. Pentecost here is a little foretaste of, no, 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 all those languages, they could hear and understand one another. And it's as if Jesus and God is showing us that all the nations are gonna be gathered together in one unified people. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue is gonna to be joined together in unity, worshiping Jesus. And we say, yes, we want that. Would that be, would, would your kingdom come, Father? We long for that day to be with all of God's people and not have this barriers of language and sin and suffering. Church, may we, may we grow in our trust of this King, this Lord and Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen? Whether it's the first time of repenting and believing, I'd, I'd love to talk with you. And you want to get baptized? I'm sure Carrie would not mind. Let's just go, all go over to his hot tub and dunk you right now. And for all those who are already believers and Christians, we pray that, Spirit, would you continue to lead us and guide us? Would you help us to see areas in our life in which we are not believing and trusting in you? By your grace, Father, would you fill us with your Spirit? Would we bear the fruit of the Spirit? That people would get a better glimpse of the power of and presence of Jesus Christ in our life. Lord, thank you for what you are doing in this church. I see your spirit at work. You are transforming us, individuals, marriages, families, from one degree of glory to the next. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the, the increase in joy, in life, in love, that I see in our church, would that increase? Would you be so gracious to us, Father, to bless us? And Father, as, as we experience your blessing and your presence, would you send us? Would we be sensitive to how your spirit is at work in, in us and, and those in our life, at, in our family, in our work, in our neighborhoods? We want to be used by you, Father. We are your instruments. We are your witnesses. We are your ambassadors. So I pray, would you be glorified in us? Thank you that you save, you work, you empower, and we receive. I pray that you'd be with us this week. You'd encourage us and edify us with your word. In Jesus' name, amen.